This week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I mean, the freakout is real. I mean, this is a full-blown meltdown going on over Biden, and, and, and a ton of it, a ton of it, guys, is being driven by Harris. I mean, are, are they just now realizing that Joe Biden is old <laughs> yeah. and that she is incompetent? Are they, is, is it, they just figured that out this week? Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. Hunter Biden indicted Kevin McCarthy under the gun, but so is Kamala Harris. Mitt Romney says goodbye, the Kentucky governor's race, and more this week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I am Joe Arnold, your roundtable host. Scott is here. Kevin Grout, Jared Crawford. And Scott, what a, uh, first of all, this is some breaking news here on Hunter Biden. But first, I have to get some breaking news from I-64 in Louisville, <laughs> Kentucky. Between, between Louisville and Frankfurt, Scott and I were driving separately to an event for the Leadership Kentucky on uh, on Wednesday night. And I called Scott with breaking news from the road. And I said, Scott, have you ever seen this before? There was a car driving in front of me. that, And I've seen shoe polish in the back of a car before that says, you know, it's, 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 it's maybe it's a newlyweds. Maybe it's written on there. Maybe it's like a swim team celebrating something or a homecoming or whatever else. And this one said, written in shoe polish in the back. I'm like, oh, what are they celebrating? Oh, they're having a baby. It says, having our first baby, October 31st. Then it said, send us a trick or treat. And then it had a Venmo address. I'm like, I have never seen mm. someone begging for money. So I'm talking to Scott. Then I get a call from my sister. I say, uh, hey, have you ever seen this before? She said, oh. I just took a picture of one today in Nebraska, and it was a car with California plates driving across the country, and it said, my cat needs surgery. Venmo me. Like, <laughs> I have never heard, I have never seen, first of all, Scott, have you ever seen panhandling on the interstate before like this? No, no, but it's certainly safer to do it this way than actual panhandling on the side of the interstate. <laughs> that would be unsafe. Uh, so as far as like... I endorse this in terms of, a, 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 you know, as it relates to, is this a good way to make a living? Probably not. I mean, I'm sort of curious how much you sent. I don't know if you sent any or not, <laughs> uh, I did not. but I do. I, I, I share your curiosity about the sort of the, the cultural uh, that, you know, basically like, yeah, if something's happening to me in my life or whatever. And so I'm just going to some expectation that the world owes me something over. I don't know. Is this like normal now, Kevin? You get your Joe, hand up. what you don't understand is that this is the state of Joe Biden's economy here where people can't <laughs> afford anything unless literally strangers are chipping in. Um, I'd only ever seen this before for, you know, bachelorette parties on their way to Nashville or something. So now that it's expanded out past there. So what off, is the bachelorette having, party? Doing? They're saying pay for a bachelorette party. What are they it's doing? It's like buy yeah, the, buy bride the a bride drink. drink yeah. Right. Mm. Right. What I'd like to see here is an analysis on if you get more money, depending on how good your message is and how good your Venmo tag is, because it can be, you know, a nice name or I mean, it can be. I have to say, though, this week brought lots of news on this front. We have panhandling on the highway. We have pan we have sexual panhandling in a Virginia state Senate race. <laughs> that is true. My Patreon account. Basically saying, you know, like, pay me money and I'll do these acts. And I, I mean, I, I, people are people are asking for money. 
any which way they can. It's crazy out there. Jared. I don't, I don't hate it. I, you know, like Kevin mentioned the bachelorette thing when it's kind of like tongue in cheek, it's always like the easiest way for me to give somebody on the side of the road money too, is if it's like need money for beer. Like I always think that's funny as opposed to something that's kind of sad. Um, you see this too. I remember I've seen it a couple <laughs> wait, times. Wait, wait, wait. So like the, the homeless veteran on the side of the road, I always, just keep on driving. No, I always but... think, I, no, <laughs> it's beer. But like some all right that maybe that was uh too simple of a of an analogy but you see this sometimes too i've seen this on uh like college game day like anytime kids can have like signs in the back too where they're like you know money bias money for beer like want a rowdy crowd and they'll put a venmo and so i think it's kind of funny when it's like tongue-in-cheek but when you're getting into like i can't pay for surgery for my cat then it's just kind of like sad Am I um, am I crazy or am I remembering correctly, Joe, that years ago, wasn't there like a scam or people would occasionally take out classified ad paper saying, you know, send one dollar to this uh, post office box or whatever? I, I'm going to Google this while we're while I, well, I seem to remember like so this is like maybe the newest iteration of this is the chain letter. There, <laughs> Yeah, there yeah. was that big scam maybe like five years ago now where that couple claimed a homeless man gave them like his last $20 and oh, then they right. set up like a GoFundMe for him and, then and they were like we're gonna like he was so nice he gave us his last at whatever he went to the gas station or something for him and then they were like taking all the money they weren't even <laughs> giving it to the homeless person because it was a great story because to your earlier point it was a great pitch yeah like, who can make the best yeah. the great this will be the most interesting thing but it seems to me here of course, I found the other, I okay, found so it. I, I did. My memory was sound. Send me one dollar, <laughs> and I'll send you the secret to making one thousand dollars in the mail order business. And so this is like, <laughs> and I guess people would do this. I guess that's I'm viewing it through this lens. I don't know. Maybe I maybe this is not exactly what. Well, what I was going to say. Well, the other the other uh, I guess other recent begging that I've seen online is I've seen either reporters or quasi journalists, you know, with like a like I said, Patreon or some link to say a tip jar. Support. Yeah, it's a tip jar. Yeah, that's what it is. And and I don't know. It just it just seems. I think people have become so self indulgent in the social media era in the first place that, in other words, that my life is so. You know, my life is your concern. Everything that is going on here, and it's a shared responsibility. And this is the natural extension of that is to say, if you have been, you know, following along as you should be, because my life is so important and my details of my travails are so important. And you and you kind of relish in these things by me sharing these this, you know, just constant stream of, of consciousness of uh, of here's what I'm going through. Well, then the natural, I think, presumption people have it is my life is so important in that regard then it's worth paying for. I think we need a little flyover country original reporting here. Joe, for the next week, can you drive around, paint something uh, with a Venmo on the back of your car, drive around and uh, let us know how how many good Samaritans are out there sending you money and uh, we'll, we'll report next week on the pod. He doesn't even have a cat. I, 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 <laughs> I, I also think maybe like the, the culture of tipping has gotten uh, so pervasive that now everyone thinks, well, you know, if they're asking me to tip, 
you know, because somebody poured me a single cup of black coffee at a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. Why why shouldn't someone give me a tip for having a baby or having a sick cat? Everybody else is getting tips. You know, I am an excellent driver. I think that I should just have that on the back of my car Ex- saying excellent driver. My driver. How's my Did you think I did you think I was courteous when I <laughs> yes. let you over in traffic? Send me three dollars. <laughs> That's right. And I'll send you the secret of courteous driving. <laughs> 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 I will I will say I, I sort of agree with your point, Joe, that I do think we've become kind of like self-indulgent. But I, I do think sometimes with like real things, it takes a community and Americans are extremely charitable people and we don't always know where to go or where to look and until it's like right in your face. And so I do like again, I think sometimes maybe this can be a good thing and and maybe it is kind of more like lighthearted and fun other times, but and so I'm not as cynical about this um, as you seem. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like if somebody had a, 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 you know, a cat or a sick dog or something. I might see that and donate because you know we've how all. Do you know been how do you know they're not making it up? Again, that's you know that's <laughs> trust, the that's trust the tough but part verify. About let me let me ask you a question, Jared. How many Nigerian princes are you supporting? <laughs> Exactly. Well, no, I mean to to the real point though. I I I do this with dogs all the time. Like on my anytime the Humane Society, you know, puts something up about a dog that's been brought in, I always I have my uh, like uh, credit card linked on Facebook, and so I literally just have to click like five dollars. Uh, and so it, I'm a sucker for those things all the time. Now, like there's other stuff, the cats I wouldn't oh do God, it for, but dogs. Jared, right now. Jared, I have a hankering for some beef jerky, but I, I'm, I'm a few dollars shy. <laughs> Wait, you are you, are you saying that like when you're watching TV at night and like the Sarah McLaughlin like <laughs> commercials come on, and you're oh, like this immediately, you're on the phone like, take it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes, yes, yeah, you catch me in the right mood. <laughs> oh my god, let me ask you a this... question, Joe. On this, on, did they claim to be poor? On the, no, on the, what what no, kind of car were they driving? Actually, it was a, it was a newer model. I would say in the last, it was it was a new car. It was actually I was looking at the car first because I, I was admiring the SUV. It was a really slick black SUV. I would think I think it was a VW, and um and I was like and but it, but it said having our first baby October thirty first. Send us a trick or treat. It's it just basically it wasn't even a situation to say we need money for a crib. It was just like send us money. You owe us like, money for us having a baby. We're the first people to ever have a baby. I do think that's yeah. like part of the this generation's main pro- like they think all history began, you know, three weeks yeah. ago. Like they like they're not aware that people have had these things happen to them before or what have you. I of course I think a lot of I think a lot of people in politics and media think all history started on, you know, January twentieth, twenty seventeen. Like they can't they can't mm-hmm. fathom or remember a time before Donald Trump. So anyway, well, you got to, no. so you did not donate in the final analysis. <laughs> I clearly did not. However, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting the impression though, as I'm, as I'm throughout today after this happened, I'm getting the impression this is actually far more prevalent than I realized. And, and, and I think maybe that's a situation like after you buy you know, like a new, or you're a car, you end up seeing that same car everywhere. I think we're going to end up recognizing this now. Look for people's writings in the back of their car. Don't get too close to them. But um, and then I guess report back next week. 
I, I don't know, know why that. we're not all writing support our podcast on the back of our cars. We, we could do that. And see. Wait, so our, our podcast has a tip jar? Yeah. It's like a tin cup. About, it's a digital time. tin cup. That's what we're going to have. We're going <laughs> to rattle it. Every are there week. are there campaign finance limits to any of these things? This is all just, or this is like more like dark money. We're not a campaign. That's true. We're a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that baby is not a campaign. That sick cat is not a campaign. Now, the porn lady in Virginia, that's a campaign. That was a campaign. That's right. That's right. That's a campaign. And uh, and so I don't know what's going to happen to her. That, By the way, that's apparently like a competitive race. Yeah. It's a swing yeah. district over there. Sw- a swingers district. And a swing district. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'll be here all week. <laughs> I, Jared, uh, that, I've that, lost that story, track. Of- by the way, that story is crazy. Like, just yeah. the concept of someone putting out a video of themselves on a website called Chatterbait and then claiming later after it was after they themselves publicly disseminated these videos then later claiming well i was the people leaked and hacked me and this illegally distributed no you distributed it you're the one who distributed it now you just got to lean into it like at some point you just got to own it well, in the meantime, I, I guess, uh, Jared, I've lost track. Of, do we have any way for, for people to 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 share their thoughts uh, with our podcast here on such such controversial matters as this um, this this Venmo traveling begging campaign? Yeah, we haven't had to stoop that low yet. Um, <laughs> you could you could write point. your you could you could write your comments on the back of your own vehicle and drive over to Joe's house. <laughs> I could do that, I could and do he that. could read it. Uh, and then we're good. Bring it back. That's where he gets all of his news these days. All right, what's all going right. on? In, what's going on in politics? This federal week? prosecutors on Thursday indicted Hunter Biden mm. on gun charges. Yeah, and let's go straight to the House Oversight Chairman James Comer for his reaction to the gun charges. That's one of about a dozen crimes that Hunter Biden's committed, and ironically, that's the one crime that he committed that you cannot tie Joe Biden into. So the one crime, Scott, that you can't tie Joe Biden to is the one that this uh, special counsel has indicted Hunter Biden. I'm actually going to disagree with Jamie Comer because there is an aspect of this story that has bothered me from the beginning. You all may recall the details. So he has this gun and throws it in a dumpster and makes a racist remark about (laughs) illegal Mexicans. But at some point, during this saga, the Secret Service in Wilmington, Delaware, showed up at the gun store demanding the, the form that Hunter Biden filled out. Now, at the time this happened, they were not under Secret Service protection that I know of. This was reported on, um, and no one has ever been able to explain why they showed up. And I, to this day, to this day... I think the first story was written back in 2021. This all happened, by the way, on October 23rd, 2018. Um, so they they have this Hallie Biden, which, by the way, it's his daughter-in-law. <laughs> and so, anyway, the Secret Service agents go to the owner of the store where Hunter Biden bought the gun and ask to take the paperwork that was generated during the sale. And the, and the gun store owner refused to supply it because he thought the agents were there to take it and basically hide 
Hunter Biden's ownership of this missing gun. The Secret Service at the time said, well, we have no record of our agents investigating this incident. So I may actually send a note to Jamie Cohen pod and remind him somebody called the Secret Service and asked them to go over to the gun store and try to basically cover this up. And I just wonder who it was. No one's ever been able to figure it out. And I want. Would that be I guess that would be a. Probably I'm, I would think not subject to an open records request, but maybe maybe to a subpoena. Absolutely. It ought to be. I, I think the Secret Service ought to be subpoenaed. I think the agents who show I think I think everything about that needs to be known because. My guess is somebody in the Biden family who had some contact with the Secret Service office, wonder who that might be, picked up the phone and said, we need you to go over there and get this paperwork so Hunter doesn't get in trouble. Now, that would be serious governmental abuse. Biden was not in office at the time, so there would have been no reason for the Secret Service to have had any interest in this other than they were running an errand for Joe Biden uh, and trying to cover something up. So anyway, I agree with Comer, by the way. This is not the thing. That's going to bring down Joe Biden. Uh, the thing that's going to bring him down is is the case of the taxes. I mean, the the thing that the special prosecutor really needs to be looking into, Kevin, is the tax evasion because Hunter Biden was getting all this money from overseas. He was not paying taxes on it, and if you or I had not paid taxes on that amount of money, we'd already be in jail. So I I, I do think that is the case that is far more interesting. Palmer asked about that follow up and about the impending impeachment inquiry. As a reporter asked him about why he's impeaching or wants to impeach Joe Biden. I haven't said he should be impeached. No, you all are, are writing stories about impeachment. This is impeachment inquiry. But we've already proven the president lied about uh, ever speaking to or meeting with all these foreign nationals that were wiring his family's money. His family got $20 million from foreign nationals, and nobody knows one single thing they did to earn that money. That should be a national security concern to anyone. So with this inquiry, we're going to continue to investigate. Thank goodness we're investigating because, uh, you know, some of you are doing a good job, but some of you haven't done a good job reporting on, on all the, the uh, suspicious activity from the Biden family. So we're not talking about impeachment. We're talking about impeachment inquiry to give me the tools to be able to get all the information that, uh, that we need to, uh, to wrap up this investigation. Yeah, good stuff from from Jamie Comer there too. And and to his point, the the way the media at times has just been like there's nothing to see here. And then, you know, Comer has done this, McCarthy has done this too, lays all these things out about all these concerning things, the lies, some of the connections, and then they're like, well, none of that is actually impeachable. It's like, well, that's what's prompting this investigation, <laughs> right? So like most, you know, maybe where there's smoke, there's not fire, but there's a lot of smoke here and we're pretty sure there's fire. And, you know, the media is just like, well, we don't, don't even worry about the smoke. Don't, that's nothing over there. Just, there's no there's no real connection here. Uh, and the goalposts in, continue to get moved to. In my opinion, it's worse than that because you have all this parade of journalists and the Associated Press was the worst offender this week with the with their whole tweet, you know, without evidence. The Republicans are doing this. Kevin McCarthy winds up confronting the Associated Press reporter uh, in his press gaggle, which I'd like to play because I thought how Kevin uh, Speaker McCarthy handled it was just was just brilliant. Let me play it. What impeachment inquiry is to do is to get answers to questions. Are you concerned about all the stuff that was just recently learned? 
Do you have any concern? Have you asked the White House any questions? Yes. Okay. Do you agree that, do you believe the President lied to the American public when he said he'd never talked to his son about business dealings? Yes or no? It's all right. I can answer that. You, you can't answer that? Do you believe when they said the President went on conference calls? Do you believe that happened? That's what the testimony says. Okay. Yeah. Do you believe the president went to Cafe Milano and had dinner with the, with the clients of Hunter Biden, who believes he got those clients because he was selling the brand? That's what the testimony says. Okay. Do you believe Hunter Biden, when you saw the video of him driving a Porsche, that he got $143,000 to buy that Porsche the next day? Do you believe the $3 million from the Russian oligarch that was transferred to the shell companies that the Bidens controlled after the dinner from Cafe Milano took place? So the testimony. Okay, then I go back. Do you think the president lied that he... When but he is that an impeachable, is lying an impeachable Well, you want, you want to know, I'm not saying impeachment. All I'm saying is I would like to know answers to these questions. The American public ought to know, and that's what impeachment inquiry provides. I think Kevin McCarthy did an amazing job walking through that there because what we've gotten out of some media, AP was the worst offender. Just this, this, I, I mean, they are, they are throwing themselves in front of these questions that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden are facing, you know, like they're just mindless zombies, you know, who, who have no personal, sort of autonomy it's like they're like they they're programmed to do it and it's ridiculous and here's the thing when you walk through it there is evidence kevin mccarthy just walked through it um uh, even on you know there was a cnn fact check about this this week that got you know it was like they were trying to make the case that republicans didn't have anything but even in the fact check that was written up it was like well this did happen and this also happened and this happened and that happened and and so the House Republicans here are simply trying to dig a little deeper. I mean, they're it's like they're doing the work of the press. I mean, any any this is the president of the United States. Are we not we're not interested in asking this guy any questions? Yeah, I mean, if it, it's crazy. If it weren't for Jamie Comer and Kevin McCarthy, we likely wouldn't know any of this. I mean, think about it wasn't that long ago there was that, you know, sweetheart deal that you know, Hunter Biden was about to get, and all this would have gone away. The taxes, the gun, everything might have gone away. And if the American people didn't know about it because of Jamie Comer and Kevin McCarthy and House Republicans, you know, we it, it might have all been swept under the rug, and then there would be no accountability here. Uh, I'm really laughing at the the reporters' insistence. Is this an impeachable offense? Is this an impeachable offense? Let's look back. You know, recent history. There, I, I think the bar for what is an impeachable offense has been lowered so 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 far down um and, and you know the democrats and their media allies really just do not have a leg to stand on here they, they have made the impeachment process entirely political and a house majority gets to decide what is impeachable and you know in, in this day and age uh, if democrats are in charge anything republicans do might just be an impeachable offense well the, the republicans are, are playing by the standard that the house democrats set up on the first impeachment that's number one Number two, I'm dubious they're ever actually going to impeach Biden. I don't know that they'll ever have the votes to do it. I mean, maybe they won't. But I'll tell you this. I am confident that this inquiry, this investigation and these new powers that give them like super subpoenas that are easier to defend in court. I am confident it is going to yield more information than we have today, because every time they do something, we get more information than we had, and it reveals some falsehood of Joe Biden. Remember how far we've come in the 2020 election in the debates. I've never had a conversation with Hunter Biden about this. He did not get money from China. Well, 
that two lies. Mm-hmm. Every time Biden speaks on this matter, actually, anytime Biden talks about either of his sons, he lies. His instinct is to lie. He has lied repeatedly about this. We have whistleblower testimony. Uh, we have bank records. I mean, we have a lot of information to go on here. And if you're not interested in whether Joe Biden has been bought and sold time and time again by his family to foreign oligarchs and shady foreign people, and they sent millions of dollars to shell LLCs to everyone in his family, if you're not interested in that and you're supposed to be a reporter, maybe find a new line of work. Scott, the president loves his son. (laughs) He's just getting over an addiction. And he has a fighting addiction. And and I think all of American families understand this. Why can't you get past the fact this is a loving father and a tragically addicted son? Yeah, it, it is a pathetic defense. And yes, a lot of families deal with this. But a lot of families would have had much better judgment than Joe Biden exhibited here in terms of reining in ridiculous behavior by a family member. By the way, by the way, if you read the David Ignatius uh, column in The Washington Post this week begging Joe Biden not to run again, one of the things he says in the column is Joe Biden just couldn't tell Hunter Biden no, couldn't do it. I mean, he really faulted his personal judgment here. I was on um, Wolf Blitzer this afternoon uh, because they had gotten a clip from Donald Trump saying that um, he had been approached about pardoning himself before he left office and he got asked if he would pardon himself. If he comes back in, he said, probably not. And they asked me what I thought about that. And I said, well, I think we ought to ask the same question of Joe Biden. Would he punt, uh, pardon Hunter Biden? Remember, whether Biden is elected, neither of them will face the voters again. Neither of them has any electoral future beyond that. And they and yet they still wield the vast powers of the presidency. Joe Biden's instincts and judgment when it comes to his family and his children is atrocious. It's it has always been atrocious. And so, yeah, I think it's a good question to ask Donald Trump. Would you pardon yourself? Would you pardon people around you? I mean, great question. But somebody needs to stick a microphone in Joe Biden's face and say he's indicted on a gun charge. Probably going to be indicted on tax issues. You have repeatedly said publicly, quote, my son has done nothing wrong. If you truly believe that, aren't you prepared to pardon him? That needs to be asked of this man who could well be reelected president. Don't you guys agree? The, the only thing I have to disagree with you there on Scott is you say he lies about his family. That's not all he lies about. I mean, this week we got another big whopper when he said, oh, I remember going down to ground zero on September 12th. Oh. He, he told first responders, oh yeah, I, I remember. He wasn't there. He was in Washington. He didn't go down until nine days later. I mean, the the list of lies is too long with this guy. So, Scott, I agree with 90% of what you said, but uh, no, he lies about lo- a lot more than just his family. I guess the other – who has Jerry? Yeah, Scott, you mentioned the the Washington Post, too. I don't know uh, I don't know if we've brought this up yet on the podcast. That clip that went viral of, of Philip Bump in that podcast oh, interview <laughs> in which the, the, uh, the host is just like, hey uh, – you know, like you ever thought about asking about this stuff? And Philip Puff's like, "This is this is not this is not what I'm supposed to." Say. It's like, hold on, dude. It's like maybe just ask him about this. Like it is crazy. I mean, the the AP today with McCarthy and I mean, it it is like embarrassing at some points. And again, these are the same people who have the the tip jars in their uh, you know. 
if a reporter thoughts. was going to ask him one of these questions, his staff would probably just play the walk-off music and he'd just stumble <laughs> around the stage for a while. I mean, that's what well, he don't, did. Don't, don't forget how Joe Biden became president in the first place. And that's Donald Trump. And Donald Trump broke many, many people. And the fact that Donald Trump is the front runner today, I think is it, there's a direct correlation there, a line you can draw between the prospect of Donald Trump being elected again as president and the reporters' attitudes toward Joe Biden. If, I, if I, go ahead, I, I have I, I'm I'm glad you opened up this this line of conversation because I, I just have to say, it, it appears to me at this point Trump is going to be the nominee. I mean, the polling is. I mean, there's some new polling. Thing. He's over sixty percent in these national polls now. He's crushing. He's crushing. And this is exactly what these media people wanted. You know, for this entire primary, you had this collusion between the the political press, the Trump campaign, the never Trump campaign, and the Democrats to ensure Donald Trump gets the nomination for the Republican Party. Congratulations. You've basically engineered this. Now, now you have all this polling coming out showing Donald Trump beating Joe Biden, beating Joe Biden. The Fox News poll tonight has him beating Joe Biden uh, by a couple of points and it had the highest score in the field. He got up to 48 to Biden's 46. You have Joe Biden, like 75, 80 percent of the American people saying he's too old. You have 60 plus percent of the American people saying, of, of course, he had something to do with Hunter Biden's, you know, foreign dealings. You've got Kamala Harris stuck in the mid to low 30s. I mean, this the, they engineered Trump one more time. And only to find out that he's going to be running against a train wreck that is Joe Biden uh, and that is Kamala Harris. And now you're starting to see the freak out, the Ignatius column. That if, if that made it into a column in the Washington Post, can you imagine what the private conversations are like among these professional Democrats in Washington? They are in a full blown freak out right now. But what's their next best option? I mean, we, we've heard twice this week prominent Democrats get asked, OK, what about Kamala Harris? Is she is she sticking around? And this I, I've never seen. And this 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 wasn't a, a gaffe. These were prominent people who knew what they were talking about. Just completely trash Kamala Harris. Okay, Nancy Pelosi being asked this. Let's hear from the former speaker. President Kamala Harris, the best running mate for this president. He thinks so, and that's what matters. And by the way, you think so? she's very politically astute. I don't think people give her enough credit. Uh, she, of course, values based, consistent with the president's values and the rest, and. Uh, People don't understand. She's politically too. Why would she be vice president if she were not? But when she was running for uh, attorney general in California, she had six percent in the polls, six percent in the polls. And she politically astutely made her case about why she would be good, did her politics and became attorney general. So don't people shouldn't underestimate what Kamala Harris brings to the table. Do you think she is the, the best running mate, though? She's the vice president of the United States. So when people say to me, well, why isn't she doing this or that? I said, because she's the vice president. That's the job description. You don't do that much. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you know, you, you, you're a, a source of strength, inspiration, intellectual resource and the rest. And you and she I think she's represented 
our country very well at home and abroad. That was an incredible moment on uh, Anderson Cooper. And then there was another incredible moment by a senior House Democrat today. We're recording on Thursday. Jamie Raskin got asked by Jake Tapper today about whether he thinks Kamala Harris <laughs> is the right running mate for Joe Biden. What he, I couldn't believe what he said, Jared. Let's hear it. No one's thinking about personalities. I mean, like, it's just a simple question. Do you think Kamala Harris is the best running mate for President Biden? You said she's excellent. That's farther than Speaker Pelosi went. But do you think she's the best? I'm not trying to throw anything into turmoil. I, I actually think it's a pretty simple question. Do you think Kamala Harris is the best running mate for President Biden? Yes or no? I mean, I don't know what else I can say other than she would say be yes. an excellent running mate, an excellent <laughs> vice president. Um, I don't know whether President Biden has named his uh, running mate. We're going to a convention uh, next summer. It's, uh, you know, a year away from now. Um, and we're going to go through that process. So, I mean, the incredible. Thing, I don't know why you can say the answer is you could say yes. You could say yes. I think Kamala Harris is the best vice president. And the best running mate for President Biden. That's that that's the, the answer you could be giving right now. Yes, <laughs> she is. So I've not seen any public opinion polling. shuffle down. I mean, guys. Her or me or anybody else. I don't know who else if you're talking about the polling, but I will tell you as a matter of substance and public policy, she'd be an excellent choice. Wow. And she and the president have done an excellent job. This was a disaster. Now, I'll tell you who has seen the polling is the aforementioned David Ignatius, who, you know, he cited a couple of reasons why Biden should not run again. One of them was Kamala Harris. Here's what he says. Because of their concerns about Biden's age, voters would sensibly focus on his presumptive running mate, Harris. Quote, she is less popular than Biden with a thirty nine point five percent approval rating. Harris has many laudable qualities, but the simple fact is she has failed to gain traction in the country or even within her own party. That was in this column. Now you have senior Democrats in the House, Pelosi and Raskin, saying, eh, I don't know about this. I mean, the freakout is real. I mean, this is a full-blown meltdown going on over Biden, and, and, and a ton of it, a ton of it, guys, is being driven by Harris. I mean, are, are they just now realizing that Joe Biden is old <laughs> yeah. and that she is incompetent? Are they, is, is it like they just figured that out this week? This train, you can see this coming from a mile away. It is. I think, kind of I, I, I think what they just noticed now is what you said, Scott, is that Trump could win. <laughs> yes. He and could I, win. And what, 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 it, it, everything, loyalty all goes to the side. It's all to them a service of beating Trump. And they are ready to throw out anyone who gets in the way of that. I remain, by the way, fairly convinced that if he is convicted of a felony, it will be near impossible to win. I just I continue to think that would be a deal breaker for a lot of people, even against Joe Biden. I do. I, I just think there are people who will not want to associate their own franchise with a convicted felon. They'll think, well, you know, a jury convicted this guy. And it sounds like based on what's happening in Georgia, it's unlikely he's going to face trial down there before the election. So the most likely convictions are going to be either in the January 6th case in D.C. or in the documents case in Florida. But if he is not convicted or if he is acquitted or if these things are not resolved, if you look at Joe Biden's numbers right now, job approval, the economy, concerns about his age, Lord have mercy. And oh, and by the way, questions like who do you trust to handle an emergency? 
Donald Trump or Joe Biden. It's not even close. People trust Donald Trump. And I, I guess it's just because they believe Joe Biden is is basically ready to be put out to pasture, not to be returned, Jared. Yeah, Kevin sort of jokingly mentioned it in the beginning. You know, if you're putting your Venmo tag on your car, that's Bidenomics at work. But, you know, to your point, Scott, this this polling this week from Suffolk, uh, voters approve of Trump uh, handling the economy over Biden 47-36. For independent voters, that's 46-26. to 26. I mean, you know, the idea, I think it's 70 plus percent of people think the economy's headed in the wrong direction. I mean... Maybe they could pull a bait and switch with somebody on that VP who's got more experience or has higher approval ratings. But, I mean, people just don't think the economy and the country is headed in the right direction. And I think that shows up for Trump, who had a really robust economy, uh, you know, for four years. And, again, people vote a lot of times with their wallets and with their pocketbooks. So Fox News poll tonight. Uh, came out just before we recorded this pod, a couple of interesting questions. Do you think Biden has the mental soundness to serve effectively as president? Yes, 36. No, 61. Oh my God. 61% oh my of the American God. people do not believe he has the mental soundness to serve as president today, let alone a second term. Do you think Donald Trump has the mental soundness to serve effectively? Yes, 46. No, 52. So he's only minus six on that question. So approaching, uh, you know, one to one. But 61 percent of the American people don't think the current president is mentally sound. Here's some other interesting questions. If the election is a rematch between Biden and Trump, will you look forward to it? Forty seven percent dread it. Fifty percent. Democrats dread was 60 Republicans look forward to it with 60. So you have like Republicans who are desperate for and this is like maybe the the thing I've come to the realization of about the Republican primary and all of it this week. Republicans have concluded two things. They want the election to be about a referendum about Donald Trump, all of it. Russia, impeachments, January 6th, his economic policies, uh, did they steal the election, everything. The indictments, they want one final vindication from the american people that everything that's been done to donald trump was a bunch of malarkey to borrow a phrase <laughs> and up until now up until now democrats have also wanted i think this next election to be a referendum on donald trump except except now that you see the polling on biden mental soundness economic policies uh I don't know. <laughs> like I, I'm not I, I'm not I don't I'm not sure what they're going to. I'm not sure how they're going to run this race, because if you look at some of these head to head questions on Trump and Biden, Trump is besting Biden fundamentally. Now, people still think Donald Trump is corrupt. He is still one of the most unpopular politicians in the country, and he should be beating Joe Biden by 10 plus points. But he's not because of who he is. Uh but I think Republicans have have concluded that they want this referendum and that Donald Trump can't possibly lose. I think I think that's what they believe is that they can't possibly lose. And I think Democrats up until this week thought we can't lose either. But now maybe they're starting to change their mind that maybe maybe we could. And that's what's causing this uh, freak out that we're seeing leak out into the media here. By the way, as we're recording this on Thursday night at 10, 15 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. 
the UAW has announced that it's striking against the three major automakers at oh midnight. Wow. So um, speaking of um, economic turmoil and whether we call it Bidenomics, meganomics, whatever Biden calls it, or, or anywhere in between, uh, this is uh, something which is uh, could, could certainly have ripple effects throughout the entire economy, Kevin. Joe, Joe Biden was supposed to be the most pro-union president ever. Is that right? And he has, you know, either been kicked out of striking conversation. It, it feels like this has been the summer of strike conversations. Uh, and uh, Kevin, according and, to according to this, uh, while you're you're uh, looking at this, UAW to strike the Chevy Colorado pickup plant in Missouri, the Ford Ranger plant in Michigan, and the Jeep plant in Toledo, Ohio. So, looks like three states. Uh, right out of the gate, are going to get get some striking here. Wow, this is just a this is a little conspiracy theory question, Scott. Kind of uh, advancing before we talk about the governor's race in Kentucky. Do you think the UAW is all uh, aware of the governor's race in Kentucky if they're choosing not to target a Kentucky plant for striking? Or do you think that's it's a great? Just a, that's, that's a great I question. Know. I I really don't know how unions formulate their. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, the cynical part of me would say, well, of course, you know, they they wouldn't want to have harmed a Democrat. Although, I mean, I, I would argue that the strike is probably going to harm Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's going to give I think it's going to give people in the country a sense that things are off the rails. Right. And how come Joe Biden can't step in Sorry. and fix stuff like this? And but he's not on the ballot this year, though, is the difference. Well, no. But certainly he's the presidential campaign is in full swing. And mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, it, to me. It's only going to add to the freak out, you know, like you've got, you know, major labor union on strike, you know, all three automakers affect. I mean, it is going to impact the economy. And so now maybe it doesn't last that long. I don't know what they're asking for. Like, I'm not a expert on this stuff, but what what they were asking for was, holy cow, massive 40 percent raise. They want to be yeah. paid five days a week, but only work four. I mean, I mean, it was, it was some pretty steep, steep desires that they had. Speaking of the ripple effect in the economy, I think about this because of all the different auto suppliers who are in Kentucky yeah. and all across flyover country. Uh, I read a report earlier tonight in the Detroit Free Press that the Biden administration was uh, considering, uh, I shouldn't call it a bailout, but basically some federal funding or support to to keep those auto suppliers going in the midst of the strike because they're so reliant because, you know, the the, the, the number of plants and workers that it takes to build one automobile, there's this whole, you know, exponential effect, you know, all throughout the, the, the you know, the, the the auto alley, if you will, I-65 from Michigan to Alabama. And uh, so that would be a tremendous effect here uh, as we move on. Who's to say, I mean, the, the UAW certainly is showing that they're willing to go uh, to an extreme end here for really some, as you pointed out, Scott, historic raises they're asking for but i guess i mean back to kevin's original point this seems to me to be more than anything a one of the i guess the strongest national reaction that we've seen by one block of people about the horrible inflation yeah that this country has been experiencing yeah and they're only gonna make it worse speaking of turmoil yeah, go ahead, Scott. That, you know, you know, you know what you're saying is um is is, is interesting because I I actually wonder now if you if you'll see Republican presidential campaigns sort of 
I mean, look, this is an interesting moment. You have the Republicans that have been sort of moving towards being a, you know, a a populist, you know, working class party. It's obviously a working class strike that's going on here. And the way you positioned it, Joe, uh, you know, this is basically just a reaction to having to live in this hyperinflation that we're <laughs> we're living in this country right now. I, wh- I mean, do you all think a Republican presidential campaign might come out and support the strike and support the workers and say, Look, at this point, I think this is Joe Biden's fault. And I think uh, and I do think the corporations have some responsibility to their workers. But but at some juncture, Joe Biden bears responsibility for for plunging these workers into poverty uh, because of his inflation. I think it's just as likely to the point Joe was making about um, the Biden administration deploying emergency resources to keep uh, the industry going. I I could easily see him saying, yeah, but only if you make EVs, those uh, internal combustion (laughs) engines, y'all don't get anything. Well, it would be a just a perpetual a perpetuation of the policies that got us here in the first place, you know, in the, terms there, of go ahead. Yeah, that you mentioned EVs. There, there there is some belief, I think, among like the rank and file auto worker that the administration's push on EVs is is going to destroy their domestic industry. And right. and and so you know. I just don't know what kind of credibility Biden has here with these. I don't know. I mean, the inner workings of this, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of chum in the water here that, that makes this a complicated right. situation. I uh, just, to, I guess to redouble back on my original point, I think the historic arc we're going to see on this is you're going to, you're going to see a direct line from this infusion of, of, of just cash in, into the economy that everyone knew Larry Summers on down was going to cause this rampant inflation that America's spending power, you know, obviously went down precipitously. You're seeing, you know, turmoil on on across you know, all sectors of the economy. You have healthcare workers about to go ready to go on strike. You have, uh, you had Amazon, you had UPS. I'm just saying, this is the, the reason for that is Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood exactly. Although that's that 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 has that has that's not the worst. That's not the worst. <laughs> well, that that has some technological aspects to it in terms of where we are with streaming, but that notwithstanding. The fact that people do not have as much, you know, spending power as they did, you know, when when, when Joe Biden took office, I think is, is is a direct result. And I think overall we're going to see that. Now, I think the UAW wanted a, a kind of a reset on their contract for a long time anyway, but their membership is is riled up enough now because of the the larger economy and those issues that they have the kind of energy to be able to make that happen. You know, speaking of uh, people with auto backgrounds in the news. This week in, in, in politics, I'm thinking about Mitt Romney and uh, mm. his dad and, uh, and and there's a lot of history there. Boy, a person who could step in right now with a lot of credibility to help solve some of these things. But Scott, Mitt Romney announcing that he's not going to run for re-election. And really, a lot of folks just talking about, you know, certainly, you know, Mitt Romney is it's 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 almost seems uh, not archaic, but it's it's almost it's almost like he existed. 40 years ago and not 10 years ago, as far as his brand of Republicanism. Yeah, uh, boy, when I when I think about Mitt Romney and and the auto industry, I I still have nightmares about the headline of the op ed that he wrote in the in in uh, during the auto bailout. And the headline was let Detroit go bankrupt. (laughs) And he was arguing that against a bailout, like they should have to go bankrupt and restructure and, you know, and kind of and reset. But the headline was let Detroit go bankrupt. And that was 
having worked on the Mitt Romney campaign in Ohio, that was run up our rear end a very long way. <laughs> and, and, and man alive, it, it, it seems, I mean, it was, you know, it was 11 years ago now, but, uh, since you, you raised it. Yeah. Mitt, uh, uh retiring is, um, he, he said some interesting things. I'll be honest. I was a little, the, the score settling on the way out was, I, I don't, I mean, it's interesting and certainly it has a lot of, you know, people, your tongue wagging out there. I don't love it, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I don't begrudge this man his honest opinions, uh, but some of the personal score settling was, you know, I didn't, I didn't love uh, some of I was interested in it. Of course, I read the, the long book excerpt that McKay Coppins put out. He did say something though, that I think most Americans agree with based on the conversation we were just having. And that is he wished the Republicans and the Democrats would, would pick somebody newer and younger and run those people against each other. And I, you know, I do think, I do think that's where most people basically are that aren't uh, extreme partisans right now. And so, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's going to set off obviously a a big a big scramble for his seat in Utah, and and he's been a pretty sort of reliable anti MAGA or whatever you want to call it vote in the Senate and in the Senate Republican conference. And so, how that changes when he leaves, have to uh, we'll have to wait and see. A lot of a lot of big changes could be coming when uh, when the Mitt Romney's, uh, you know, of course, Rob Portman before him and some others retired. So this changing of the guard is really also just a, a big changing of the attitude uh, of, as you mentioned, Joe, the old Republican guard versus sort of the new right that that it's emerging in the forms of, you know, Josh Hawley and J.D. Vance and others. Well, and whether I guess the question is, is whether there is a, even a conservatism is still alive in the Republican Party, you know, versus populism or any other kind of. In, in, inject your your cause i i i have to say I, I somebody i read somebody wrote this week they were sort of describing like i think ramaswamy as as the the new republican left <laughs> and and it's essentially this is his willingness to adopt all these you know left-wing ideas and these sort of left-wing tactics and and left-wing lenses and try to just insert them into what for our entire lives has been a conservative party is, is really kind of startling, Jared. Yeah. The, uh, the Romney piece is interesting because there is a lot of that of sort of like, I feel like I'm losing my spot. Um, we're losing people like me. And, and uh, I think it mirrors a lot of what Paul Ryan said when he left a few years ago too, and that they, they really want to find a way to kind of stay in, the sort of conservative movement, but they don't see themselves fitting into the Republican party, uh, whatever that, you know, looks like, or may become in the next, you know, few years. Um, yeah, I would encourage people to, to read that piece. The most startling part of it is the portion in which Mitt Romney talks about how he like sits at home alone at night, eating salmon and ketchup <laughs> sandwiches he only eats the salmon because I think uh, Senator Murkowski like gifted them to him. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a little sad in that way, too, in that like Mitt Romney's obviously personally incredibly successful and, you know, has had quite the, the ride in politics over the last few decades. But it is kind of like weird. Like you said, he's sort of like trying to settle scores, but also have like incredible sympathy for himself, for a guy who's just been personally very successful. So it's it's sort of a weird tone. Uh, but some of the inside baseball stuff he talks about is is pretty interesting. Um, and again, Mitt Romney has just been a staple for uh, a long time. So 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of where he goes. Again, he throws out this idea of like a third party, which to me is such a like eighth grader, you know, idea. I don't know. There were some interesting parts of it. I, I again, the way Trump broke a lot of people on both sides, I got the sense that maybe Mitt is still, you know, like maybe he shouldn't be sitting at home by himself eating salmon ketchup sandwiches. Like, I, I don't know. And uh, so it will, uh, we'll see where he goes, but uh, an interesting piece. Nonetheless, I, I read a different story into this retirement news in that he, he, you know, Mitt Romney, obviously everybody knows who he is. He was the standard bearer for the Republican party. And then he comes into the Senate, which is an institution that runs not on seniority and seniority, not based on your age or what you've done before, but how long you've been in that literal room. So he was a, he is a 76 year old junior Senator. So he just literally does not have the time. Although he makes a joke, he's going to live to 120 in the piece. He does not have the time to become a chairman, you know, maybe rise up through the ranks of leadership. He might not even become the senior Senator from Utah ever. So you get that a lot with, I think um, I, Mike Braun has very similar reasons that why he's leaving the Senate right now. Just, you have somebody who comes in with that CEO uh, executive style and they just kind of don't fit in, in the Senate. And I mean, that, that seems like a just as plausible story to me that, you know, he doesn't like being the junior Senator in a body that treasures seniority. One other point. Go ahead, Scott. Oh no, no, please. Let's say just, just back to the mainstream media for a moment and what you talked about before about you know trump being the invention and creation of his whole candidacy uh, in 2016 and again this year being the product of this kind of this conspiracy if you will don't forget that you know for anyone lamenting over mitt romney's sort of uh fading away here and that brand of maybe more responsible republican partyism uh his demise was directly the result of the mainstream media demagoguing and attacking him as some extremist. And Harry Reid. Don't forget Harry Reid in that, too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No. And and for people to be, you know, hand-wringing, whatever else, and talking about how this is so terrible, no. The, the, his, the progressive left complete ex- extreme swing that ultimately created Donald Trump and made Donald Trump's candidacy plausible was is all this is all, all part of that historic narrative is okay. is how Mitt Romney was treated in 2012. Oh, I tw- mm-hmm. you know a lot of people you know put the line of demarcation in our politics at 16. It's it was 12. I, I my personal observations of having worked in that election and been in been in before and after and and been around the block is 2012 broke politics. It yes. broke Republicans. Republicans not you know nominated you know whatever you think of Mitt Romney he's a good and moral person he uh I don't think there's a there's a malicious bone in his body and the way he was portrayed by the Democrats and the media together in in working together was so ridiculous and everybody knew it and they all just went along with it and of course we lost the election and I think so many Republicans at that point just concluded like you can't you you can't overcome them. You can't, you know, trying to trying to be better than them, trying to like be the better person or take the high ground by nominating, you know, the, the Mitt Romneys of the world. We cannot win this game that way. And you got the exact opposite in 2018. And then he wins. And so there was validation to that idea that, hey, we got to 
we got to take a different direction here. Now, losing in 20 didn't didn't change many people back. Um, but but I, I totally agree with you that that 2012. I mean, it, I have to say it, it it affected me deeply the way they portrayed Mitt Romney. I mean, the whole binders full of women thing, you know, yeah. Mitt Romney's like I, I'm making a pledge to hire the most qualified women in the country to populate my administration. And he was turned into a monster for it. It was insane uh, the way they portrayed him and the lies that were told about him. And so, I don't know, I was, I was reading on uh, some, some people were having a Twitter banter in my timeline. What would have happened if Mitt Romney defeated Barack Obama? And like, how would that, what alternate timeline would that have looked like in, in American politics? And people were like, well, would he have run against Hillary in 16? And, and I don't know. I think Obama might have come back actually <laughs> and yeah. gone for it again. But I can see that. Uh, no, people would so have argued one of those, that one of those great what ifs. People would have argued at that point that, that the election was stolen from Obama. That's a whole, whole other story. Let, speaking of uh, political disarray, uh, before we re- leave Washington and come back to Kentucky, just a couple quick more notes, Scott, on the precipice that the country and specifically the House Republicans and the Speaker find themselves right, right now with the prospect of a government shutdown here, as well as how to handle this impeachment situation. Yeah, just a, a quick note on the House. First of all, I liked and admired the pluck of Kevin McCarthy today. You know, you've got Matt Gates out there saying he's going to go down to the floor and have all these motions to vacate the chair. And he finally finally said, you know, bring it on, essentially, and uh, in more vulgar terms than I just uh, <laughs> I just <laughs> gave. But but I liked it. I liked Kevin McCarthy challenging these bullies. So that that was good. Uh, what's not good is that it's obvious the House Republicans have no path forward right now to avoid a government shutdown. So whereas a couple of weeks ago, I think on this pod, I was quite optimistic that McCarthy would be able to pull a rabbit out of a hat. Obviously, I, I'm going to downgrade my forecast. I still think maybe he can get something done here. Hopefully, I'm going to I'm just going to continue to say he has outkicked his coverage and overperformed expectations, you know, on many, many occasions this year. So I'm going to continue to be an optimist about what Kevin McCarthy can get done. But certainly you have to agree that the stakes of uh, this are higher than they were. And the chances of a shutdown are far higher than they were uh, before. And finally on impeachment, you know, I, I, I got no problem with what they did. He did what Pelosi did. You know, I don't love it when a politician, you know, one day is saying, I'm going to have a vote. The next day is doing something unilaterally. I don't, you know, that's not a great look, but at the same time, I don't know how many people really care. Uh, And I think putting Comer in charge of it was, uh was the exact right person so um let's uh let's uh send up good vibes to kevin mccarthy he's under siege right now and hopefully he can he can pull pull rabbits out of hats one more time kevin uh yeah you're right i in on the government funding angle there's fits and starts and everyone's talking about i I don't know if if anybody is going to get the house freedom caucus to vote for a continuing resolution it sounds like it could be kevin mccarthy because they're back at the negotiating table which i think you know Anybody who knows much about the House Freedom Caucus thinks it's absolutely bonkers. Um, but they've got two weeks. That's a long time, right? Um, a, a lot a lot could happen there and get across the finish line. So maybe I'm not quite as pessimistic as Scott is, but uh, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Let's come back to Kentucky here, guys, before we wrap it up tonight. And just for the, a, a, an update on the, the big election coming up this year, uh, the reporting since our last podcast, Scott, uh, primarily about the race was the tremendous fundraising hall, uh, especially by the incumbent Democratic governor, Andy Bashir, And at the same time, all the different uh, interest there is from across the country 
in this race and a lot of different PACs involvements. Where do we stand on this and what does this report this past week say about the state of the race? Well, a couple things. Number one, it, it was always destined to be true that an incumbent governor was going to outspend his challenger. And that's been true of the Bashirs this year. And uh, and obviously, Andy Bashir has been raising money for this race for, for quite some time. He and his father were both very good uh, at raising money, shaking people down, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. And so I think I was surprised to see that Andy Bashir has more money than Daniel Cameron. I, I started to sort of think about like what would be the you know, the comparison on, on Cameron. I, I really started to think about the 2015 governor's race. It was an open seat, uh, but Conway was kind of the de facto incumbent in that race. Everybody thought he was going to win. There wasn't a single poll that ever showed Matt Bevin winning in that election. But then on the finance side, I, I looked up the numbers. You know, in the 2015 primary, Bevin raised $3.69 million, but $2.5 million was a loan. So he really only raised about $1.19 million. And in the general election, he raised $2.8 million, but $1.3 was a loan. So he really only raised $1.2 million. So in actual dollars in 2015, Bevin, the Republican challenger uh, to Conway, raised only raised, not his own money, only raised $2.3 million. So Cameron actually, I think, um, has, has in some ways done – you might have expected a, a challenger to an incumbent governor in this environment, uh, but certainly the Bashirs have money, uh, and uh, and you can see it on your television. And and the candidate spending is quite efficient. You know, one of the things about this race is the Democrats are more reliant on Andy Bashir, his candidate spending, and Cameron is more reliant on the outside groups, independent expenditure, super PACs. And candidates just get a lower rate for their advertising. So a, a million dollars of ad spending by a candidate goes a lot farther than a million dollars of ad spending by an independent group. And, and that has certainly manifested itself in this race. I think it's still a close election. I think Cameron is uh, running circles around Bashir in terms of campaigning. I think his policy announcements have been quite sound. He's drawing big crowds uh, everywhere he goes. I think he's campaigning over half the counties in Kentucky. And so, um, I think we're in for a real a barn burner this fall, and um, uh, I think I think we're also in for a heck of a lot more outside money coming into this race because there's intense uh, national interest in both parties. Jerry, did you have the you wanted to add a, a commercial? Yeah, Scott mentioned some of the outside uh, funding and and some of the outside advertising. I thought another uh, strong anti Bashir ad this week. James Hamlin sodomized a young child only six years old. He was arrested and thrown behind bars where he belongs. Yet Andy Bashir signed an order intended to release Hamlin from jail. What Kentucky child is safe when their governor wants to let monsters like Hamlin roam free? When Bashir puts deviant predators before innocent kids, it's not just wrong, it's unforgivable. School Freedom Fund is responsible for the content of this ad. That's another that, great a, ad off one of Bashir's worst mistakes. Yes. Yeah. This is one of these things. I I am so glad they are doing this because I just I don't know how many people realize just how bad that, you know, those commutations were during, you know, the COVID times. We we talk a lot about shutting down the schools and shutting down the churches and shutting down small businesses. We don't often hear a lot about him opening the jails too and to continue to hammer this and just how poor a decision that was it, it i'm glad 
I mean, it is. It was such an awful idea. It was so dangerous. I'm I'm so glad they are continuing to hammer him on, on this. Yeah, I would say that the ad campaign that's been run by that group has been really effective. They've been very focused on the the commutations that that Bashir signed, and I, I think the way they've portrayed this has been has been really really effective. And uh, and you know, uh, at the beginning of it all, of course, Bashir tried to pass it off on Trump. You know, Donald Trump told me to do it, which I just. I just don't think anything uh, anybody actually believes. But, uh, yeah, uh, spot of the week, in my opinion. I do think uh, voters vote with their pocketbooks more than anything else. I will be very curious to see what inflation, gas prices, overall, you know, uh, unrest among the working class uh, with the strike and everything else going on with the UAW here. I, I, I think this is this will perhaps could be the a, a, a deciding factor in how this race actually turns out. Yeah. Yeah. The economy, uh, I mean, people obviously have just deep un- uncertainty about it, anxiety about it. You know, the inflation numbers this week with all the other news got a little overshadowed, but they, the inflation is yeah. going back up. Yeah. Right. And gas prices are up massively. And that's, that's something people feel every single day, you know, go, getting up and taking your kids to school and going to work. So I agree with you, Joe. I, I think this is a, yeah, you know, if if it continues to get worse and the overhang uh, of how people feel about the national economy continues, it it could could have a real impact on the race. Hard to measure that stuff too, mm-hmm. you know how uh, you know in terms of turnout and just voter anger. It's um, to me one of the big questions of this is is just are we going to get a 2015 turnout or a 2019 turnout? I mean, it's a lot of a lot of difference in those two races. One was remind low, us five. of the turnout those two different years. Fifteen was low. It was like thirty percent. Nineteen was high. It was like forty. It was like 42 or 43 percent, something like that, Kevin. There's a lot of lot of gap between mm-hmm. low 30s and low 40s. And the next step we're going to start seeing here is getting into the debate season. I think next week is the first time the two candidates will be back on the same stage at the Kentucky Chamber Forum. Uh, but then they're going to start doing public debate. Scott, can you talk about how that's going to, you know, maybe publicize the race a little bit more, put it in front of more people? Will it make any difference because everyone just watches TV commercials? Yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, there are you know, some of these things aren't debates; they're forums, and so, like you said, Kevin, they're on the same stage, but they're not really debating. I think the first head-to-head actual debate comes up in early October, uh, but I think the first, I think the first joint appearance is coming up at the Chamber of Commerce next Wednesday, State Chamber, uh, and um, and they're both getting a series of sort of policy questions in front of a fairly large crowd, so. My suspicion is, uh, Kevin, I think you're right. That's going to start to generate quite a bit of buzz about uh, about how they're handling their policy uh, positions. Um, um, you know, Bashir did not show up for the Kentucky Farm Bureau Meet the Candidates Forum. That should have been their first joint mm-hmm. sort of quasi-debate appearance, but he did not show up for that. And seeing Red Herb before we wrap it up, I was I saw a car as I was driving toward Frank. Oh, I already did. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, you have anything for us this week? Uh, yeah, I uh, have started listening to a new book uh, by Alan Alda, um, the Hawkeye from MASH. Uh, I grew up watching that with my dad. Uh, he wrote a book, um, Things I Overheard While Talking to Myself, which I had to like read it three times to get what that is. But it's a, it's a memoir about, about a bunch of uh, speeches he gave and some, some of his life advice. Um, uh, I've been enjoying it so far. Jared? Is MASH... The the series finale still the most watched like ser- series finale of all time. Isn't that a series finale? Yes, uh, outside of Super Bowls, it's the most watched television event of all time. Wow, the four hundred seven seventh. Yep, that's incredible. Um, 
Seen red heard. So I'm I, I'm almost like a little bit embarrassed to admit that this, despite kind of growing up in the right generation for it, I never read the Harry Potter books. I never we weren't like a Harry Potter family. I don't even think I watched all of the movies until like maybe three or four years ago. Um, I was like a Star Wars kid, never got into Harry Potter. And so just recently, me and my wife have decided to do all of the Harry Potter books on audiobook. And uh, so, uh, you know, again, I'm not like huge into it, but I do. You obviously get you get more detail. You get introduced to to more of the characters like early on. You learn more of their story than you do with the movies. Um, So I'm enjoying it so far. But, yeah, I'm kind of I'm like 30 years late on the Harry Potter books. (laughs) What what book are you on now? We're just in on the first one right now. We're, we're kind of taking it slowly. I think the first book in total is like eight and a half hours or something like that. So yeah. I can't imagine how long the last one is. Um, it's good. I mean, the the person who does the narration is incredible, like doing the voices and stuff like that. And my wife loves Harry Potter. So she's like able to point out little things I should like kind of bookmark as we're listening um, like characters. And she'd be like, like, don't forget that person is that person and yada, yada, yada. Um, and so it's been, it's been really good, but I'm sure I'm going to love it by the end. So sorry to the Harry Potter people <laughs> that I never got on the train, no pun intended. Uh, huh. but it's, it's great. And it's like the perfect season to, to do Harry Potter too. So, so. Well, as the oldest person here, I appreciate the fact that you're both talking about things from like 30 and 40 years ago or 50 years ago, uh, <laughs> Kevin. So Scott, you want to give us a black and white movie? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that I'll I'll buy it. What's what's a Harry Potter? I don't I'm not familiar with. <laughs> uh, so by the way, while you all were talking, I now I've been sucked down the rabbit hole. The the most watched oh. television broadcast event of all time. What is it? Who knows? The moon landing. The mo- the Apollo eleven oh, okay. moon landing, July twentieth, nineteen sixty nine. Then there is a series of Super Bowls. Richard Nixon's resignation speech. Wow. Which by the way, I watched. Yeah, a couple of more Super Bowls. Then Mash was number 13, almost 106 million. A couple of more Super Bowls. Then Roots. I also Uh, watched. A couple more Super Bowls. Then The Police Pursuit of O.J. Simpson, (laughs) June 17th, 1994, 95 million people. Then a bunch more Super Bowls. Then Leon Spinks versus Muhammad Ali, two. September 15th, 1978, wow. 90 million. Wow. What then is... another Super Bowl, and number 30 was the grand opening of Disneyland. July 17th, oh, 1955, wow. drew 90 million voters. You're kidding. Wow. So, what anyway. is the most watched Super Bowl? Which, which, uh, the most watched Super Bowl, Pats, is Giants, undefeated? February 12th, 2023. Oh. 115.1 oh, million. Wow. Yep. So, and yeah. then the next one was 2015, then 2022, then 2014, uh, and it goes. But but they're all in, you know between yeah. the second and ninth most watched events. It was 115 million down to 111 million. So these these obviously draw massive mm-hmm. audiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My scene red herds are. Uh, well, I I don't want to I don't want to spoil this one, but I, I, we got to talk about Ramaswamy next week in this TikTok thing. You know. <laughs> Two weeks ago, he's calling it digital fentanyl. Today, he's on there with some lunatic making TikTok dances. The other one, though, we we may bear some longer conversation. The governor of New Mexico mm. unilaterally oh. suspending the United States Constitution yeah. <laughs> by emergency decree. 
uh, it probably it just may bear some conversation next week because I predicted during COVID that Democrats would get a taste of governing by emergency order. And one has definitely gotten that taste. I think we're going to see more of this. I know there's been kind of a big backlash and her attorney general and the sheriff out there won't back her. But I, I have a feeling that the there's, there's going to be a uh, we're, going to, we're going to see more of this uh, depending on what happens in the next couple of elections. But you get a taste of governing by executive fiat. It's not something that you give up easily. Your, your assignment for next week is to set up a Patreon or Venmo account for Flyover Country so we can get a tip, <laughs> a tip jar. The virtual tip jar shall begin next week. For Scott, Kevin, and Jared, I'm Joe. Have a great week. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.